The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with Wall Street capping off what has been one of the worst months for stocks in the year with its best day in weeks. Futures are now fighting to extend those gains. Front and center for investors today, the start of the Fed's two-day policy meeting. We speak with Citi's Stephen Whiting on what to expect from Powell and company. And the Fed, it's not the only game in town, however, as the Bank of Japan makes some of its own headlines and ones that could be bad news for U.S. stocks. Plus, Tesla's had to extend losses after one of its worst days in weeks. And then later in the show, Apple shifts focus to its laptop lineup with a semiconductor refresh. It is Tuesday, October the 31st. It's Halloween, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Happy Halloween to everybody that celebrates. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures on this final trading day of October. Take a look. Futures solidly in the green. Looks like the Dow would open up more than 100 points higher at this time. So this after the Dow posted its best day since June, snapping a three-session losing streak Big gains for the S&P and the Nasdaq as well. However, a different picture for the month, with the major averages all on track for three-month losing streaks. You see the decline right here in the month of October. All this as investors look ahead to the Fed decision tomorrow, with the majority of interest rate traders expecting the central bank to keep interest rates unchanged. Ahead of that, of course, we're going to check the bond market. Take a look. Uh, the yield on the benchmark 10-year at 4.82. Important to note, the two-year yield still above 5% right now. We also want to check the energy market this morning. We're going to start with oil, WTI, the U.S. benchmark. Right now, just up over a half a percent. Brent crude still below 90 bucks a barrel, but up 1% this morning. Natural gas, the most volatile, at least in these early hours, up almost 1.5% right now. All right, that's your U.S. setup. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day gets underway. Our Jamana Brissetti is in our London newsroom with the action for the month and this morning. Jamana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, today the stock markets are actually doing okay for Europe. We are seeing patches of green across the stock 600, but given it is the last day of the month, we thought we would take back, uh, take a look back at how October was. And let me tell you, it was an October to forget for many of these European stocks. At third negative month in a row, the worst October since September 2022, when it fell 6.6%. Diving a little bit deeper into each individual bores, the FTSE 100 down 3.3% for the month. A lot of focus there on the UK banking stocks, the likes of NatWest down 22% for the month. The worst performing stock within the FTSE 100 was Ocado. That stock was down 20% for the month as well. Cacarante in France also under scrutiny down 3.6%. A lot of focus on the luxury stocks there, the likes of LVMH down 6%. Also, Renault, one of the main underperformers, down 14% as automakers came under selling pressure due to increasing amount of competition from China. 
Zetradax in Germany also focused on 3.8%. Again, automakers there leading some of the declines. But then Siemens Energy, the worst performer by far within the DAX, down 40% as it saw more trouble with its wind energy units. And then finally, the worst performing index within the stock 600 is the Swiss index. You would think, given it's a defensive-focused index, that it would be performing better. But actually, for the month, down 5.3%. Lonza, the worst performing stock there, down 26%. The drug manufacturer seeing a lot of issues, especially with the departure of its CEO. But let me just turn briefly and do a slightly more deeper dive into what we were seeing within the auto space and the UK banking space. So you, this is the picture for automakers. We spoke about the German automakers coming under selling pressure. VW down 9%, Mercedes down 16% as they cut their margin outlook for the year just a couple of days ago. And finally, UK banks, this was the picture uh, across the sector, all of them trading in the red. A, a definitely a week and a month to forget for UK banking names, Frank. All right, Germana, thank you very much. Our Germana Bersecci, live in our London newsroom. All right, let's dive deeper into the final trading day of this month with Vince LaRusso, CEO of Cloud Capital, a firm with $1.3 billion in assets under management. Vince, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Nice to be here. All right, let's just talk about We've been talking all morning so far about this losing streak for stocks down for the month. How much do you attribute that to seasonality? How much is that is, is uh, attributed to higher rates? Yeah, Frank, I always think it's a combination. But, you know, the higher rate environment is putting pressure on stocks and bonds, right? And it's not just the month, which has been tough for capital markets. Actually, if you step back and look at the S&P price level, it's where it was in April of 2021. So two and a half years ago, this is a difficult part of the cycle because we're a little bit late cycle. The economic growth level is certainly slowing. And as you mentioned, the Fed has increased rates quite a bit. All right. So you said the economic cycle is slowing down. But I want to talk to you about earnings season. We're just about halfway through looking at facts said they say we're on track for our first year over year gain when it comes to earnings since Q3 of 2022. So essentially a year ago. At the same time, we have some big market voices. I'm talking Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, J.P. Morgan's Kalanovic. They're saying the forward estimates are too high. Is that important for investors right now or should we just enjoy the earnings gains that we're seeing? Well, I think investors are answering that question with their response to earnings. And we're actually seeing stocks down generally on earnings. And that's unusual. So the market's always going to be a discounting mechanism. And when the management teams of these companies, um, you know, project more challenging times ahead, I think the stock market is uh, is taking note of that. And investors should as well. It's a good time to be active and, you know, and be thinking about what sectors and companies you want to own at this part of the cycle, because I don't think you want to broadly own the stock market right here. Just in all fairness, though, it's kind of a reversal for Mike Wilson. So he started the year bearish, then he came back and kind of gave him a culpa. Then just two weeks ago, he said he thought there'd be a year-end rally. Obviously, some things have changed. But in your mind, does the idea of a year-end rally, is it very unlikely at this point? Well, you know, we could get it. I mean, you know, year-end rally now, Frank, we're talking about just two more months. So that's a difficult time horizon to be predicting equity returns. You know, candidly, we will let Cloud Capital think about investments over cycles and thinking about a little bit of a longer time horizon when we do our fundamental research. But Look, it's fair to uh, acknowledge for strategists and investors, this is a really difficult time in the capital market cycle, right? We're late stage. Um, the Fed's just had that dramatic move. Everybody's trying to grapple with quantitative tightening now. So, you know, if we can assume that QE and, and quantitative um, easing and lower rates were really stimulative on the way up, it's only fair to assume that we're going to have some restrictive um, response in equities when quantitative tightening sets in. And, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. All right. Of course, today is day one of the Fed meeting. Tomorrow is going to get the decision. What are your thoughts about the Fed right now? Do you believe we're going to see a pause? And if we see a pause, is it a hawkish pause or is it a dovish pause? 
Well, it sounds like we're going to get a pause, Frank, but yes, all, everything will be, uh, you know, a lot of people will be focusing on the body language and the narrative around that. And, um, you know, I think at Cloud Capital, look, in the near term, our view is that rates are about where the Fed wants them, right? We're, we're more or less calibrating and they're going to monitor the data. Um, what might get really interesting if things begin to kind of break in the capital markets when we get more sell-offs and, and some of the uh, credit delinquencies and, the, you know, we're seeing that consumers are really using a lot of the financing that's available to them. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of a couple of quarters from now how quickly the Fed might have to reverse course, um, because we still have a dynamic where there's a lot of debt on the uh, U.S. balance sheet. And, you know, boomers are retiring. That tends to be a deflationary force. We've got a lot of technology, which is being uh, kind of implemented and integrated throughout the capital markets and the economy. And that tends to be a deflationary force. So it could be a surprise that kind of a year from now we see the Fed having a reverse course because the effects of their tightening path. Um, have kind of borne itself out in the economy. And we're already seeing that okay. in consumer durables and some of the- Something we'll know, have to watch, Vince. All right, oh, something to watch for sure. From Cloud Capital. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. All right, time Thanks, now sir. for checking some of this morning's top corporate stories. We appreciate Silvana Hanau. She's here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Yeah, well, shares of Tesla set to extend yesterday's losses after closing at their lowest level in five months. Shares lost nearly 5% yesterday on news from Japanese battery maker Panasonic that it will cut down on its domestic EV battery production, citing falling sales of Teslas and other EVs. Panasonic is a battery supplier for Tesla. Meanwhile, the SEC is suing SolarWinds. That's a software company hit by Russian-linked hackers more than three years ago, claiming the company defrauded shareholders by misleading them about its cyber vulnerabilities and ability to withstand a breach. Now, in response, company lawyers say, quote, the SEC is improperly trying to appoint itself the cybersecurity police for public companies, adding the agency's overreach into this complex area should alarm all public companies. And the Bank of Japan is out with its latest policy decision, keeping target rates unchanged, but tweaking its so-called yield curve control policy to allow its 10-year bond yield to float at or above the 1% mark. Yields on the benchmark note are currently sitting at their highest in more than a decade, while the yen falls sharply against the U.S. dollar, Frank. All right, Samana, thank you very much. We'll yeah. see you later in the show. See you later. All right. We have a whole lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, Apple out with a laptop lineup shakeup in its self-described scary fast event last night. But was it enough to move the needle for investors? Plus, Apple, not the only one unveiling new hardware. Why its fortunes in China could be uh, in possible jeopardy there. And then later, some slick spots on the North Face has shares of VF Corp sinking ahead of the open. Those shares down more than 8%. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. 
Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Apple revamping its Mac lineup, unveiling new MacBook Pros and a new iMac with new custom chips to power them. The computers and the M3 family of chips, they were all shown off last night at an online event with a focus on professional users. The 14-inch MacBook Pro starts at $1,600, 300 bucks cheaper than the previous version. The 16-inch model uh, starts at 2500 while the iMac desktop, that starts at 1300 Some will be available as soon as next week. Joining me now is Dan Morin, East Coast Bureau Chief at Six Colors, which provides daily news on Apple and other tech companies. He also writes the Stay Foolish column for Macworld. Dan, good morning. It's great to have you here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. It's a bit of a late night for you. Unusual for Apple to have an event in the evening time. So I want to ask you, what's your big takeaway? Well, my big takeaway, obviously, is the M3 generation of chips. This is going to set the stage for Apple's Mac line for the entire year upcoming. We've seen that they like to disperse these chips throughout their entire lineup. Uh, and it gives us kind of a good picture of what the performance is going to be like for pretty much every Mac going forward until the next generation comes out. So it really sort of sets the stage for where Apple is heading in the next year or so with its processor architecture. All right. So it sets the stage for Apple for the next year ago. I'm looking at the stock right now in the pre-market. It's in the red right now. Investors didn't seem to love it. Um, what do you think investors are responding to? I think probably some of it is that this might have seemed like a little bit of an underwhelming event. Um, obviously, it's hard to top something like the iPhone event, which happens every September and is a huge splash. Um, the iPhone makes up a huge chunk of Apple's revenue. The Mac is a smaller part of it. And I think probably people were looking for something maybe with a little more pizzazz to it. But it, it I think there's probably more going on here than uh, maybe a lot of people would get just from the surface level of it. All right. So it sounds like you weren't blown away by the scary fast theme that didn't do it for you. So I do want to talk to you about one thing. The new lineup of maps, it really appears to be focused on professional users, musicians, artists, uh, software designers, et cetera. Um, one thing analysts like yourself, they're noting right now, they eliminated a $1,300 MacBook Air that was really popular with businesses. But again, they also replaced, they lowered, excuse me, the price of the MacBook Pro by 300 bucks. Give us a sense. What, what's the strategy there? If you have a product that people like, why eliminate that and then lower the price on the higher end version? Yeah, I think what happened there is sort of that 13-inch MacBook Pro, which was sort of the entry level, was a holdover. It had a lot of the old technology in it. It was an old design. Uh, it had some technology like the touch bar in it that were not used by anybody, any other computer on the market. They basically had gotten rid of it and all the rest of the Mac line. So I think what they're trying to do is push people towards something that's a little more modern in the 14-inch MacBook Pro. And yeah, it does have a higher price. But the technology that's bringing with it is definitely more powerful than what came before. So it's really targeting okay. those power users and people who want to use a high-level machine. All right. Speaking of more modern, Dan, let's talk a little bit of AI. So Apple was talking a lot about the neural engine. What does that mean for future possible AI products? 
Yeah, the neural engine is a part of the Apple Silicon uh, architecture that is specifically focused on machine learning uh, and our, basically anything artificial intelligence related. Uh, and they beefed up in the M3 the power and speed of this little part of the architecture. And I think that points towards the idea that Apple realizes AI and machine learning is going to be increasingly important to them going forward. There's been a lot of talk of them doing sort of these generative AI products like a lot of the other companies in the market. Um, but the fact that they can build the hardware specifically themselves and tune it is going to be a real potential differentiator for them. All right, something we'll have to watch. Uh, Apple shares in the red, however, after the scary fast event. Dan Morin, great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks very much. All right, while well, Apple unveils this new lineup of Mac computers, a rival is taking aim at the company's flagship product, the iPhone. Huawei introducing a new smartphone for the Chinese market, where Apple generates nearly 20% of its revenue. Our Yunus Yun joins us now from Beijing with all the details. Yunus, good morning. Hey, Frank. Well, Huawei's latest phone is targeted at young, budget-conscious consumers. The Nova 11 SE costs as little as $270, and it's being marketed here as a very good for gamers with high-end cameras, lots of storage, a bright screen, and fast charging. And as what the company's live streamers are describing as the perfect entrance ticket to Huawei's ecosystem. Now, unlike Huawei's recent Mate 60 series, this phone is being openly badged as 4G. But what's interesting, Frank, is that there's already been a lot of buzz about the next version of the Nova, which is the Nova 12, and that it is going to be using the Kirin 9000S chip, which has been clocked at 5G speeds. And of course, that's despite U.S. restrictions. So that uh, Nova 12 is supposed to be out by the end of this year. So Eunice, we see that Apple generates just about 20% of its annual revenue in China. How big of a threat is this new, uh, new Huawei phone to the iPhone 15? Well, so it's it's not so much of a direct threat to the iPhone 15 and that this is uh, targeted at budget consumers. So the Nova 11 SE is not uh, targeted at the same audience. At the same time, what's been interesting is how this phone is being marketed, because uh, one of the big problems and complaints uh, for Huawei, as well as the Chinese, is that they don't want to switch necessarily to a whole new ecosystem uh, because it's just too much of a challenge. So uh, what you're seeing here is Huawei really trying to say, hey, this is a starter phone for Huawei's ecosystem, so why don't you just give it a try, making it much more palatable because it is so inexpensive. Yeah, it'll certainly be a lot to watch there. They came out with those foldable phones last year that I thought were pretty cool. This one, as you mentioned, a starter phone, something we'll have to watch. Yunus Yun, live in Beijing. Great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, how Pinterest avoided the post-earnings stock drop that hit Meta, Snap, and Alphabet. We got your big money movers. They're coming up right after this. You haven't heard about number crispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your big money movers. That's three stock stories of the morning. We start off with shares of Pinterest. You can see up just about 16% right now ahead of the open after beating on the top and the bottom line. It appears the stock's getting some help this morning from CEO Bill Reddy staying silent on current ad spending, factors that hit Google, Meta, and Snap following their earnings. Shares of EF Corp, they're under some pressure this morning. The company out with a string of troubling news for investors in its latest earnings. Among them, withdrawing guidance for the fiscal year after North American sales fell double digits last quarter. It's also replacing the president of its Vans brand and lowering its dividend. The company says a new transformation plan will hopefully help turn things around. Here's company CEO Bracken Darrell on Mad Money last night. We're going to do a $300 million restructuring really reduce the cost across the board and reinvest back into innovation and brand building. And then finally, we're going to delever, lower our debt, and really strengthen that balance sheet. Shares of EF Corp down 8% right now, down about 40% this year. And Lattice Semiconductor shares are also under pressure due to weak guidance. The maker of programmable chips now expects fourth quarter revenues to come in right between $166 million and $186 million. Analysts, they were looking for a number closer to $196 million. Those shares down more than 17%. Let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera, she's in New York with the very latest. Frances, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you, uh, Frank. We start this morning with news from the Biden administration here, with the White House taking new steps to address hate on college campuses. The Biden administration told NBC News that the DOJ and DHS will provide resources to schools, including helping them track and assess credible online threats. Also, the Biden administration is having this come amidst an alarming rise in anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents due to the Israel-Hamas war. President Biden is feuding with newly sworn-in House Speaker Mike Johnson. Johnson and House Republicans released a new bill Monday that would send more than $14 billion in funding to Israel, while also slashing the same amount allotted for the IRS last year. The White House pushed back, saying Republicans are trying to help the wealthy cheat on their taxes. And the cast of Friends released a joint statement paying tribute to Matthew Perry, reading, quote, we are also utterly devastated by the loss of Matthew. We were more than just castmates. We are family. Perry, who died on Saturday, was 54 years old. Frank, we send it back to you for a Tuesday morning. All right. Francis Rivera, live in New York. Francis, thank you very much. All right. As we head to break, it's today's big consumer stat, $700. That's how much American families are spending each month on child care on average. That's according to a new report from Bank of America. Childcare payments, they're up 37% since, or excuse me, 30% since 2019. That's according to the bank's internal data. We will see if the Fed's decision tomorrow will add to those spending stresses. But first, a programming note, join CNBC's Evolve Global Summit virtually on November the 2nd, where we will gather leaders and innovators from all around the world for provocative conversations and to share strategies and tactics necessary for adapting, innovating, and transforming in this new era of business. I'll be talking to FedEx CEO Raj Subramanian. If you want to join us, scan the QR code or register on visitcnbcevents.com slash evolve. All the details there. Stay with us. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this. It is at around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. The Bears out in full force as Wall Street wraps up one of its worst months of the year with top strategist at J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley and RBC are all saying about the months ahead. 
Investor attention turns to the Fed today, with the central bank kicking off its latest policy meeting, how you should be positioning your portfolio ahead of tomorrow's decision. And the Fed is not the only game in town. What the Bank of Japan just did that might push U.S. bond yields to new highs. It is Tuesday, October the 31st, 2023. Happy Halloween. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collins. Get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures on this final trading day of October. Take a look. Futures mixed right now. So the Dow off of its highs looking like it'll open up about 70 points higher or so. Important to note right here, the Nasdaq turning negative in just the last half an hour. Stocks coming off their best day in months, but that is doing very little to help the major averages avoid three straight months of losses. You're seeing the declines in October right here. Perhaps keeping that bear sentiment alive this morning, we have a new note from J.P. Morgan's chief market strategist, Marco Kalanovic, and a note to clients last night. He says, quote, expectations of 12 percent forward earnings per share growth in 2024. They are divorced from the risk posed by falling consumer demand and falling corporate pricing power in a restrictive interest rate environment. Kalanovic adding, quote, Absent preemptive rate cuts by global central banks, we see risk compounding with peak effect of restrictive monetary policy still ahead. And he's not alone. His comments being echoed in recent days by other top strategists, including Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, who says the chances of a fourth quarter rally have fallen considerably. And RBC's Lori Calvacina, who says the S&P 500 stats simply are not strong enough to get the U.S. equity market out of its recent malaise. With all that in mind, of course, we want to check the bond market this morning. Take a look. We always start with the yield on the 10-year. Right now at 4.84, about 15, 20 basis points from its highs of earlier this year. Actually, earlier this month. Important to note, the two-year yield still above 5%. All right, that's the setup for the U.S. markets. And it brings us to our top story this morning. The Federal Reserve kicking off its latest policy meeting today with an interest rate decision due out tomorrow. As of this morning, there is an overwhelming amount of interest rate traders betting on a pause But just because tomorrow may not bring any fireworks, there is still December to consider. Joining me now, Stephen Whiting, chief investment strategist and chief economist at Citi Global Wealth. Stephen, good morning. It is really great to have you. Good morning. All right. So consensus is we're going to see a pause tomorrow. But give us a sense. Is it a hawkish pause? Is it a dovish pause? What about December? Unfortunately, every pause at this stage is probably a hawkish one. You've heard from Chairman Powell. They want to keep their options open They're not ruling out further tightening in monetary policy. And simply keeping that uncertainty alive is communicating a sense of restraint. Uh, QT is still ongoing. Uh, So this is still a period in which we have some building monetary restraint. Um, At the same time, I think you're going to see next year is a year of progress on measured inflation. We, We really know what's going on in the housing market now. Even if it bounced back, you look at housing price measures Uh, in the CPI, and they're still nearly 7.5% over the last 12 months. This is going to be coming down. We're expecting labor markets, which have been out way in front of the economy, outgrowing it. It's going to be a period in which the policy is going to change towards one that's going to be a little more protective of the current expansion. All right. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. So you're already to next year. Let's focus on December just for a minute. So you said this is going to be a hawkish pause because all these pauses are hawkish right now. Looking at the CME tool, about a 75 percent chance of a Fed pause in December as well. How do you see that shaping up? Because we've got a lot of market moving reports. We got uh, PCE. We always call it the Fed's inflation gauge on November the 30th. And we also have two more CPI reports before the next meeting. Look, I think headline inflation by the end of the year will be 3.7. 
Uh, and I don't think that that's going to convince the Fed that their policy will not in time with patience lower the inflation rate going forward, that they're likely to hit their target, I think, ahead of time by the end of next year, not the year after. Uh, so that, again, if the, the Fed is patient here, they can avoid a, a sharp easing cycle, which is the risk they would face if they were to actually shock the system further at this point. So it's going to take a little bit of patience. I think most of the data that we just saw at the beginning um, of 4Q or the September uh, data were uh, much stronger than the trend. You just take a look at the range that we've had on employment, for example. In the last 18 months, it's been 105,000 uh, to 904,000. And what you saw with the month of uh, September was well above the slowing pace that we see going ahead. All right. So you're really, so, uh, wait, Stephen, you're really focused on data. And, and I heard the Fed's always said it's data dependent. But what about some of the data that we're getting uh, from Mike Wilson, from Lori Calvacina, a, a lot of these top Wall Street minds that are saying the impact of these rate increases hasn't quite been felt yet. Does the Fed pay attention to that as well? So I think the Fed is not very worried about financial conditions. They've been tightening. I think investors, though, need to uh, be a little bit overjoyed that there is a little more worry in the market. You know, we have not only come down 10 percent from the interyear high, uh, we're down uh, very considerably. Uh, across the board since 2021. Uh, if you take a look at Magnificent Seven stocks, they're the only ones that have kept the global equity market from having uh, a dip, uh, a drop for the full year. Um, so the fact is, is financial conditions have tightened a lot. Expectations are not uh, in line with the consensus of 12% EPS growth, if you think about end investors. Uh, and I think the opportunity of just keeping this expansion alive for a stronger year further out uh, is going to should be good enough for uh, financial markets. Uh, I think that we're better positioned now than we were before. All right, so we're better positioned. Here's like the trillion dollar question, quadrillion dollar question. I don't know what the number is. When do we see the cuts? When do we see cuts? Well, I think this is this is really nuanced, but it's important. Monetary policy is restrictive. As inflation gets closer to two percent in the coming year, just have, it's gonna have to be there. I think it'll be two and a half by the end. But if it's on its way and employment growth keeps fading, which is something we have not truly seen yet, the Federal Reserve is going to say restrictive monetary policy and faltering employment is not what they want to see. If those conditions are met, in that case, they'll move to a less restrictive policy. I think mid-year of next year, it's very much an open question, but only in the case of just a complete collapse in the economy, which I don't think we're positioned for, do they go to a radical uh, set of easing steps. But the Fed will eventually switch to protecting the expansion we have. All right. Stephen Whiting from City saying we could see cuts next year, um, like many people expecting a hawkish pause tomorrow. Stephen, great to see you. Thank you very much. Right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau, she's back with those. Savannah, what do you got? All right, Frank, I'm back. Here's what I got. The testimony of Sam Bankman-Fried, now in its fourth day on the stand yesterday, the disgraced FTX CEO admitting to Alameda Research's significant role in the collapse of FTX. Bankman-Fried adding under tough questioning that he knew Alameda was not properly hedged when he approved billions of dollars of investments for the firm, though, adds that he does not remember exact date. 
Shares of Chegg falling ahead of the open. The company reporting a decrease in total net revenue and subscription services revenue, though remaining optimistic about future growth due to ongoing investments in AI. Chegg also announcing CFO Andy Brown will retire at the beginning of next year. Brown has worked at Chegg for 12 years and played a major role in its digital transformation. And Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai defending Google's agreements to make its search engines the default on web browsers and phones says he sees value in keeping users loyal. In his testimony during Alphabet's historic antitrust trial yesterday, Pichai says the company pays tens of billions of dollars in annual payments to ensure exclusivity on a device-by-device basis, calling the correlation pretty clear to see, Frank. All right, something we'll certainly have to watch. So, Bono. Thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Stellantis putting a price tag on the UAW six-week strike as it reports its latest quarterly results. But first, as we had to break, we got to feel your top trending stories. We're starting off with who else? Taylor Swift making even her wildest dreams a reality. The singer breaking her own record for the most stream artist in a single day in Spotify history following the release of her 1989 Taylor's Version album on Friday. Bill Gates' former assistant also climbing up the ranks, though that's a title he probably hasn't used in a few decades. That's Steve Ballmer, Gates' first business manager at Microsoft during its inception, growing his fortune by approximately $29 billion this year to right around $115 billion, earning him a spot among the top 10 richest people in the world. And candy isn't the only treat you're going to get this Halloween. McDonald's bringing back its boo buckets for another year. Replacing the traditional Happy Meal packaging, Taco Bell is giving out free toasted breakfast tacos, and Wendy's is offering free six-piece nuggets with any purchase. We'll be back right after this. Andrew, a market flash for you. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway selling another 25 million shares, uh, 25 million dollars worth of shares in BYD. Berkshire's been willing down in stake in the Chinese EV maker with the October 25th sale. Berkshire now owns less than 8 percent of BYD. All right. Time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to begin with Bayer downgrading on semiconductor to neutral from overweight, slashing its price target in half to 60 bucks. Baird says while pricing in the sector is stable, at least for now, lead times suggest a potential supply glut could unfold later this year. That could trigger more broad-based cuts to inventory levels. Shares of on semiconductor down almost a half a percent. Bernstein is initiating coverage on Riot platforms with an outperform rating and roughly a $15 price target. It says Bitcoin miners are evolving from an unorganized to an industrial-scale enterprise model with North America gaining share over China. Bernstein pr- pr- prefers Riot due to its low production cost and unlevered balance sheet. Shares of Riot, however, down fractionally in the pre-market. And we got Piper Sandler upgrading Checkpoint software to neutral from overweight and hiking its price target to 125. Piper says positive signs in the company's third quarter results, including growth in bookings, along with recent acquisition, helps it feel more balanced about the company in the near future. Shares of Checkpoint unchanged in the pre-market. Time now for your global briefing. We're going to start off with Samsung reporting its highest quarterly profit this year. Losses from the company's chip business narrowed 
Samsung expects the memory chip market to rebound next year. It plans to more than double production capacity to respond to demand from artificial intelligence. Stellantis reporting third quarter revenue rose 7% despite taking a hit from the UAW strike. The parent company of Chrysler, Dodge and Jeep says the six-week strike will impact sales by $3.2 billion. Profit will be hit by less than $800 million, the smallest amount among the big three automakers. China's manufacturing unexpectedly fell into contraction this month. The country's official purchasing managers index slipping to 49.5 from 50.2 in September. A reading below 50 indicates contraction. Policymakers have unveiled a series of measures since June to try to boost growth, including cutting interest rates. And finally, the Bank of Japan taking another small step today towards unwinding its controversial monetary policy of the past decade. CNBC's Martin Soong outside the BOJ headquarters in Tokyo. Hey, good morning, uh, Frank. So about six hours ago, seems like nothing really much happened, uh, right? Uh, because uh, as you suggested, look, they're leaving the, uh, the, uh, uh, their, their base rate unchanged at minus 0.1%. Then they talked about the 1% level for the Japanese 10-year JGB, which used to be a hard cap, and now they're describing it as a reference cap. So most of us went, look, what the heck is a reference cap? So we did a bit of calling around. The folks at Goldman, their take is, look, Soft cap, it's just a cap in name. What the BOJ actually is doing is telling the bond market, look, if you want to chase it up past 1%, feel free, 120, 130, 150, as some financial uh, uh, newspapers here in Tokyo have been speculating ahead of uh, the meeting. So that's a good thing, giving the private market, uh, the market that is, uh, more room to set uh, rate levels here. And this is not an easy thing to do for a place like Japan and the Bank of Japan because it has cornered pretty much half of the of the JGB market already by itself, Frank. So, Martin, we're just taking a look at the yen right now. We're showing the chart to the audience. It's looking even weaker after that BOJ decision. Is there likely to be any intervention to support it? Good question, Frank, and uh, the price action has been pretty interesting. The 10-year JGB deal, for your reference, is up at about 0.95, right? So that's 95 basis points to five uh, points away from that 1% uh, level, and that's the highest it's been in 10 years. So watch if it goes higher from here. The yen is uh, sub-150, slipped below that just after the BOJ decision, and we should be on intervention watch. It's been six hours, no intervention yet, but watch what happens in European hours as they overlap with the U.S hours as well, but there may not have to be intervention. And here's two reasons why. One, the timing of the BOJ comes just ahead, a day ahead of the Fed, right? And if the Fed, as expected, does nothing and hits pause, and if the rhetoric and the commentary is not that hawkish, that's going to do some of the work for the BOJ because it's going to narrow the interest rate differential between U.S. rates and Japanese rates and help support the Japanese currency. The other thing we should be on watch for is, uh, of course, uh, what happens with that 150 level, though. On the flip side, if there is no intervention and it doesn't get the lift from the Fed, once that 150 level goes, the anchor goes, it could be in freefall. So it's kind of a tough call, but uh, watch what happens, I think, A, with the Fed and also with uh, Ministry of Finance here in Tokyo intervention. Back to you. All right, Martin Soong, live in Tokyo. We're outside the Bank of Japan. Martin, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. But first, why our Bob Pisani says an oversold October, an apparent ceiling on interest rates is setting up for an impressive November. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more WEX coming up after this.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with oil giant BP posting a steep drop in Q3 profit, $3.2 billion compared to $8.1 billion just a year ago. BP says weakness from its gas and low-carbon division offsets strong oil trading and refining margins. The SEC is suing SolarWinds, the software company hit by Russian-linked hackers more than three years ago. The SEC claims the company defrauded shareholders by misleading them about its cyber defenses and the ability to withstand a breach. Apple revamping its Mac lineup, unveiling new MacBook Pros and a new iMac with custom chips to power them. The computers and the M3 family of chips, they were shown off last night at an online event with a focus on professional users. Some will be available as soon as next week. Shares of Tesla set to extend yesterday's losses after closing at their lowest level in five months. Shares of Tesla lost nearly 5% yesterday on news from Japanese battery maker Panasonic that it will cut down on domestic EV battery production, citing falling sales of Teslas and other EVs. Panasonic is a battery supplier for Tesla. On the other side of that trade, shares of Amazon are coming off their best two-day stretch in nearly one year, up 11% since Friday, following that massive post-earnings rally. Taking a look at shares this morning, they are down fractionally in the pre-market. And shares of Pinterest, they're popping ahead of the open after beating on the top and the bottom line. It appears the stock's getting just a little bit help this morning from CEO Bill Reddy staying silent on current ad spending. Factors that hit Google, Meta, and Snap following their earnings reports. Shares of Pinterest this morning up over 16%. Here's what to watch today. August S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index, October Chicago PMI, and October Consumer Confidence. We also have earnings from Caterpillar, Pfizer, Amgen, and AMD. Also, big one here, day one of the Federal Reserve's latest monetary policy meeting decision coming up tomorrow. All right, markets gearing up to close out what's been a really dismal month for stocks. Taking a look at futures right now, we're seeing the Dow actually pop back up, looking like it'll open up over 100 points higher. However, the Nasdaq is still in the red just slightly right now. Our Bob Pisani has more on the outlook for stocks in November. After a miserable October, the setup for November is looking better. Barring a huge rally on Tuesday, October will be the third consecutive down month for the S&P 500. That's very unusual. Here's the good news. Stocks are very oversold, and the bond market is acting like it's going to be difficult to get 10-year yields over 5%, and that is really good news for stocks. Now, the glue that has held together the bear case is higher rates. So it's easy to make a recession call with rates rising, but if rates stop rising like they've been recently, recession is not the base case. That's good for stocks. Here's more good news. November is the number one month for the S&P 500. Number one, it's up 1.7% on average since 1950. And December is the third best month after April. So the seasonal setup, November and December, is really strong for stocks. And the chances the S&P would be down four months in a row including November, is really small. It hasn't been down four straight months since 2011 and hasn't been down four straight months that ended November since 1946. There's still big problems. The macro environment, particularly all this uncertainty around the Israel-Hamas war, is clearly a factor for stocks, particularly with oil. And while the third quarter earnings haven't been bad, Stocks have sold off during earnings season because of the cautious outlook being projected on many of these earnings calls. But stocks are so oversold. You know, the average stock is down 5% this month alone and almost 14% off the recent highs that the chances for a November bounce are very high, providing rates behave. 
Back to you, Frank. All right, let's talk much more about the trading day ahead with Surat Sethi, managing partner at Douglas C. Lane and Associates, as well as a CNBC contributor. Surat, good morning. It's great to have you here. All right, so we just heard what Bob said. November, traditionally, the best month for stocks all year. Are you expecting a November pop? Well, I don't know the short term, but I do agree with Bob. I think interest rates are really driving the market. And with the 10-year being close to 5%, now back to 4.8, that is really driving kind of where we're going to see uh, stocks end up at, really at the end of the year. And as they come down or as they move up, that really correlates with the stock market. All right. So with all that in mind, Sarat, what is your WEX word of the day? Bonds. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've gone through this period of time where there's no alternative. Well, there is an alternative. Investors can put money in even short duration bonds anywhere from one to five years, and you're getting six to seven percent. We we, we did, never saw that before for, for a decade, Frank. So I think what you're seeing also is not just equities coming down, but you're seeing a flow to another asset class that is less riskier, much more transparent than investors putting money into alternative classes like real estate or even private credit, uh, where you know you just don't have that transparency. Explain that one to me, Surat. So you're saying that you see the potential for a November pop, but you're also mentioning the intense competition from the fixed income market. Yeah, so I think two things are going on here, Frank. One is you have another choice. But the other one is if you get some clarity on interest rates and you actually know we are staying longer for higher, but we're not going up and we're going to have less volatility, investors will come back because that uncertainty will be driven away. And you can actually then really financially figure out kind of, hey, what are the values of these stocks right now? If you can't really figure it out, you know, sell first, come back later. Secondly, the other part that we're having, Frank, is, you know, we are in this geopolitical uncertainty. So every day what you see is, you know, today's we're starting to open up higher. But in the last few weeks, Mondays have been strong. And then over the rest of the week, we've had a sell off and going into Friday, you know, most investors, at least the, the traders don't want to be long. All right, so we want to focus on moves for today. One of your picks for us today is Morgan Stanley. Why is the big bank a good call? So they sold off pretty hard last week, almost 10%, because they missed for a quarter in terms of wealth management. They did confirm that for the year end, they're going to make their targets. Morgan Stanley trades at below 10 times earnings, got a 4% dividend yield. It increases its dividend yield, which is what I like. So, you know, if you want a bond proxy, this is even better. And they've also taken some uncertainty out. They, they named a successor, and, and that was an overhang for a stock. So I think that combination of all those three things is going to drive that stock. All right, your other pick, Charter Communications. Surat, we got to leave it there. Great to see you as always. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thank you for watching. Enjoy Halloween. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. <laughs> 